What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. I'm your host of today's show, Steve McCutcheon, along with my two co-hosts, Vito Anazelli and Michael Nowen. We have another great show for you, but before that, please take a moment, hit the bell, subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcast. Also, follow us on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod. How are we feeling, fellas? Pretty good. Yeah, me too. That wedding thing. Yeah. (laughs) Cute. One week from now, we'll be live streaming in Cancun. For those who don't know, Steve's getting married next week, next Saturday, to be specific. Yeah. So. Woo woo. Don't sound too excited, please. <laughs> don't be nervous. Yeah, it's actually, no, there's just so much planning and stuff that, like, it's almost to the point of, like, like, like the build up to it's just like, all right, let's just get this over with and enjoy ourselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of like the kind of uh, the boat I'm on right now. It's just like, all right, let's get this done with and then all the boys and we can just go party. Don't worry. It's already paid for. So if she says no, we can still hang out. Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario. I'm fine with that. (laughs) So, but enough about me. Let's get into the football news. Um, A couple big injuries. World Cup's coming up, obviously. The biggest one in Golo Conte is ruled out due to a hamstring injury. Had surgery on it, successful surgery, but he'll be out for the next four months. That's a big miss for France um, in their title defense. What do you guys think? Yeah, thankfully, it's the one team that can afford injuries of that magnitude, given the depth that they have, but... Yeah. Sad not to see him there, potentially be you know a two-time winner. I don't think anyone in the football world does not love N'Golo Conte. So I think everyone is, is going to be missing him and everything he brings to the table uh, for that France team. Yeah. That's probably I'm the worst cu- part about it right now. I'm curious who they bring in the slot for him. I would assume it's probably Chuameni because um, he seems like the most like for like replacement who can give a little bit extra moving forward. But um, as Vito stated, they have so much, so much depth in that team, especially in the midfield. I'm not overly concerned for them. Um, what I am more concerned about, and I'm sure we're going to get to this in a second, but is Reese James for England, who might be missing the World Cup in particular too. That is a race against time. He picked up a knock in the Milan game in the Champions League last week. Um, the timeline that's been given, at least from Chelsea, is basically right on the mark of the World Cup. And obviously, as a as a manager of the team, you have to look out for the best with the country. Even, do you think he'll just make the roster? It's going to necessarily start maybe the first game. It'll be interesting to see because if there's one school, if there's one position that England team is, is not lacking in, it's, in options, it's, it's right back. I mean, you're talking about Reese James, Trent Alexander Arnold, Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier. But at the moment, the only fully fit one is Kieran Trippier. Um, He's Trent, having a great year. Yeah, he's having a fantastic year. I mean, it's great, got a great fourth string to have, like Jesus. But um, Trent Alexander went out two matches ago and was supposed to be out for like three games or like three weeks or something like that. And they brought him in off the bench that very next game. So I don't know if he's being rushed back by Liverpool because they need him or if he's actually going to be fit. So it's going to be interesting to see where it ends up, depending on how Trent and Kyle Walker recover prior to World Cup. But the roster's got to get dropped soon. So at this point in time, I would say they're probably not going to gamble on it. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, though. Didn't – I mean, I know Trippier hit that one banger of a free kick, and I think it was the semis or quarters. Um, wasn't he like the, pretty much their main starter, or was, or was Trent also in there? He was in and out. I think it was a, a blend, but he was it the primary just, starter. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I mean, listen, it's not, it's not a bad thing to have. You have so many experience uh, at a very high level for your national team. So I – my feeling on it is if he's close to recovery or if he, they know he will 100% be good for their group stage, I would bring him. be very hard-pressed to see him not on yeah, the roster. Bring him. Yeah, I bring can him. see that. 
So, I mean, you're assuming you're getting out of that group as England. Yes. I, I would, I would want, I would want like the best right back right now, potentially, arguably the world, like at least in the form he has currently before the injury. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But there's also one more uh, that we didn't have on our list, obviously, and that's that's uh, Diego Jota being ruled out of the World Cup after going down with a pretty serious calf injury yeah. last week. Um, thankfully for Port- Portugal's team, I'm curious to you know what you guys think. For me, it's it has so much talent in that squad, but it's a little thin in the depth department. Depth department. Um, Rafael Leal is probably going to be the starter on the left wing there, so it's going to be a, a natural replacement with a lot of talent and Ronaldo up top. But I think that that's a major, major blow for a squad that I had going pretty deep into that tournament. Yeah, yeah I don't. You go, Mike. I, mean, I was going to say, I mean, like you have Bernardo Silva, you would assume probably playing in the middle in that yep. 10, 10 roll underneath. And then you'd probably put Jota or whoever, whoever Jota's replacement would be out to the right. Um, it'll be intriguing to see what Portugal does, because to your point, I feel like there's a pretty big drop off from Jota to whomever that number two winger would be, whether that's like Trencao, whether that's maybe somebody like uh, a Rafa who comes on, like it just, it's not necessarily the same quality. Um, so it's, I think it's a pretty big blow for them to be yeah. honest. Could force a change in formation. Yeah, potentially. Um, again, yeah, I, it's definitely a big blow for them. Their attacking players, though, I feel these are very good, or they have multiple positions on a field where like someone like Bernard Silva can go out on the wing, can play that false nine, can play cam. They, they're very interchangeable. So, yes, they might lack depth in terms of like how many guys can truly fill that role. But if you're just talking about like their starting 11 or maybe like the best 15 that they have, I don't necessarily know if that'll be too hindered. Mm. And I also don't see them making that magical Euro- European run either. It no. feels like it's still Ronaldo's team. I know he's obviously getting older. But if we watched the last World Cup, they went as far as he carried them. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be depend. I mean, Rafael Leal can do it himself, honestly, too, at this point. I mean, players with the likes of Jao Cancelo, Jao Felix, uh, Bruno Fernandez, like the the team is there. You're right, whether or not they click this time around compared to you know last time. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, but this, I mean, obviously, any injury from here on out, it's basically gonna be very close to World Cup time. So we'll definitely be covering those as we get closer to the. Big tournament. Um, also, some big news. Benzema wins a Ballon d'Or. Any thoughts on this one? I mean, I felt it was pretty deserved. Um, here, curious to hear your guys' opinion on it. It was signed, sealed, and delivered. Like, there yeah. was no, no argument. Yeah, no no argument there. Um, he totally deserved it. Mane would only would have won it if he won the Champions League. So, yeah. I, I mean, not only were his numbers strong, I mean, the fact of the matter is he single-handedly dragged Real Madrid to the Champions League by himself over what three separate legs uh, being uh, against Chelsea, Manchester City, PSG, right? Like a second half hat trick. I mean, when you put in those kind of performances on that stage, like it's hard to ever argue with it. I will say the the top 10 in total was a little, little curious. I know everyone has a different opinion on it, but I think as far as the winner goes, I mean, it was clear cut. Yeah, I think What's the um, bigger talking point was the the Copa Trophy, like the young player trophy with Gavi. Yeah, Gavi. yeah, they, they gave it to Gavi instead of like Bellingham or Musiela. Uh, I thought they were had a light years better of a year than yeah. Gavi. Gavi was great, but you know, I just don't think they held a candle to him to either yeah. of those two players. 
when you have players that don't score goals and create a ton of assists and players like Gavi, your chances of winning trophies like that are dependent on how your team performs. Look at the Xavi or Iniesta, right? And the Ballon d'Or voting. They wouldn't have finished there if it wasn't for the fact Barcelona was tearing it apart. And it's not like Barcelona performed well enough to, to justify that in my opinion either. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, for me, it was probably someone like Bellingham rather than Gavi. Agreed. Agreed. Um, what I'm trying to be the best way to phrase it. You obviously mentioned like the top 10 veto, like the list itself. Mm-hmm. Do you guys look too much into like pretty much once you have like, your top three though? I mean, realistically is like the other seven, eight, like is it really like why dig deep into it though? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, it matters just from like a respect standpoint. I think like in this case, in this scenario, I, I don't remember how much, Benzema won by, but I'm pretty sure it was a decent margin. So, like, even at that point, does two and three really matter when you, your winner's clear cut? But I think just having the respect of certain players having an incredible year, like Lewandowski finishing the season with 57 goals and 12 assists and ending up in fourth, I think was a little bit lower for me. I mean, I know Bayern didn't get to the Champions League final, like Salah and Mane, who finished higher, but still. I feel you. Um, Heading back to the Premier League, though, we had a little bit of uh, news. Obviously, the Man City-Liverpool game. Klopp charged by the FA for improper conduct during the Man City game was shown a red card in the 86th minute for berating officials. I mean, nothing new there. Uh, do you think it was handled correctly? Was Klopp in the wrong? Any kind of uh, opinions on that one? I mean, managers do that shit all the time, and I kind of feel like either they have, they have to draw a better line of you know, if a manager is going to do that, I understand you can make the case for like, it was a passion for the game more than anything, but either all coaches start to get those cards at that point or none of them should, because I feel like it's very pick and choose your moment as a ref where they make kind of it more or less about them. And maybe Klopp said something, maybe he didn't, but ultimately I don't see the reason, you know, if they're not going to even like, I know Pep constantly does that on the sidelines as well. Other managers like Conte do that. Like it's, and they don't get kicked out of games. Like I, I think it's a little silly, honestly. Yeah, and I mean, even in this scenario, he was completely in the right. I mean, the referee had almost no control over that game. There were tackles flying in left and right that probably should have been called, especially the one Klopp got sent off for. Salah's running down the sideline and gets literally tapped to the ground, like just arms around his body, ripped to the ground, and the referee's like, play on. It's like, I I understand and I appreciate the referees want for the game to flow. But at a certain point, if a player's getting like WWE style, like sumo would like, you got to call something. So I understand copying and sense, especially considering where that foul occurred was towards the end of the game in a yeah. dangerous area for a free kick. So, you know what? I, I I'm with Mike. If, if you're going to miss calls like that, you deserve to get in your full. Yeah. I saw an interesting stat too. Speaking of uh, the Salah foul, it was on Twitter that said out of all the players that typically get fouled in like the, third and third entry point of the field uh the final, final third point. excuse me the final third <laughs> thank you yeah. um salah does not get he gets the majority of decisions pulled against him he doesn't get the calls a lot of the time and i feel like over time he used to get them and now maybe he's developed a reputation conversely where referees see him go down and they just immediately assume he's kind of flopping a little bit yeah so, well you see those two arms of his go up in the air and you you're basically like all right bud get up yeah he he does have a reputation for that but i mean that's why a referee exists it's literally his job to make those differentiations yeah. and when they're clear cut they gotta get called 
down. Yeah, but I mean, you look at a guy like Salah, and then you take someone like Eden Hazard, who like would get hacked and would only go down. Hacked. He absolutely like got like he got chopped down. But then you take someone like Salah, who like you know in the past, like Mike already pointed out, you know, breathe on a little heavy, little yeah. poke in the back, something along those lines, and then it's automatically like flailing. So yeah, it's between like, him and Sterling. Oh yeah, well, there's a few good ones out there. A few, few good Oscars. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to cover in the Premier League. Um, up until today, Bournemouth was unbeaten since making the change of manager. What are your thoughts? Thoughts? What are your thoughts on uh, Gary O'Neill? He's making a pretty strong case to become permanent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime you you take over a team that was floundering the way Bournemouth was, and and you know you you come off the back of a couple of matches. Um, with a win against Leicester, a draw against a tough Fulham team, a uh, draw against tough Brentford team and Newcastle. Um, you're you're going to make that case. I mean, even today, they might have lost to Southampton 1-0, but there was a lot of opportunities for Bournemouth to grab all three points. And as a matter of fact, I think they probably should have grabbed all three points. Majority of the clear-cut opportunities were for them. And, and look, if it's working, don't change it. If it's being broke, don't fix it, especially when you're going to be facing down the barrel, battle of barrel of relegation yeah i mean i'm happy for them definitely but i still think this is more that fresh manager like hey we're gonna play well while he's still here you know what i'm saying versus and over this time the sack bump, sack bump not, i don't want to say bump. i don't want to be the one to say <laughs> i don't want to look you guys said I'm like a teacher uh, with that. We should we put, our, put our logo on the top, our the first top left merch. corner or something. Yep, our first merch. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think you'll see pretty soon that correlations start to really show, like go back to the median. And you know, you'll start to see Bournemouth team go back to where we think they'll probably end up, which is near the bottom of the table, if not in the relegation zone. I'm happy for them, but when you're still shipping in goals the way that they're shipping in goals. Again, twenty three against. I just don't see how. I mean, they, I mean, eight, eight or nine was that one Liverpool game, so I don't, I don't want to look one too game. much into that. <laughs> I mean, actually, at the end of the day, it was two right? games basically, right? It was the Liverpool one. Didn't they get their? Didn't they get beat pretty bad by someone else too? Like City, I think, or yeah, City and Arsenal. But most of their goals, yeah, sixteen goals between those three matches. Okay, we said that about Leeds last year too, when they got pumped two times by two different teams, and they still almost got themselves relegated. So yeah. I don't see the the issue here calling it how i see it <laughs> well it's seven it's seven goals in the other eight games that, that that's pretty good defensive record in the Premier league then i take out even if you take out what leads did and they still had a pretty good defensive record but they still almost got relegated i think they're gonna fall back down pretty far regardless of what happens they're gonna be they're gonna be fighting for their lives i, I think they can let in 100 goals they can let in well maybe not two that'd be ridiculous but they're gonna be down there and they're gonna be looking to claw themselves out of the hole like batman but it might be too much Interesting. I'm slowly, I'm slowly turning on them. Not in Forest, I'm still, still down on. But Bournemouth is a little glimmer of hope there. Let's head over to the um, Stars and Stripes section, though, where we uh, go through the United States men's national team players who had standout performances uh, across the world. Uh, first up, he was slowing down, but recently had a nice, really, really good game. Haji Wright, 90 minutes played, two goals, 82% passing, won all three of his aerial duels. Is it enough? Too like little, too late. Yeah, no. Mine's, ma no. mine's made up. Unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. Hazy's well, already he just one young player of the year in MLS, too, I think, right? Tifo, did he get injured over the weekend? Did that 
or am I mistaken? I'm pretty sure you picked up a knock. If I'm, I, I think you're right. I don't have it in front of me though. So I, I don't want to be hundred uh, percent definite on that, but that does sound familiar. Yeah. So something to watch, but I still think it's too little too late. Poor Haji, man. The guys like him apparently too. Um, Tim Weah, super sub appearance here. 20, only 25 minutes played, but two assists, 75% passing and four passes into the final third. Um, obviously great. What we want to see, he got, what was the 10 or 11 minutes, maybe last game um as another substitute appearance so he's just getting his fitness back heading into the world cup i don't know about you guys but my personal take on him was he was one of our most dangerous players in qualifiers and absolutely i'm pretty sure he locked up the right wing spot at least in my opinion one healthy he's yeah. the starting right wing yeah yeah I, I think everything midfield and forwards locked outside of the striker position he's he's number one in for me gotcha um, Brandon Vasquez also probably too little too late, but 90 minutes played game winning goal in the 86th minute against the United States men's national team center back, um, not named John <laughs> Brooks. Um, he was fouled three times and won four aerial duels. Um, he's a good performance. I think he's definitely a guy to look at in the future for us, especially like probably the first camp right after the world cup. I just, hope it's not, an error long defense. yeah, I won. I hope it's not where taking a big miss and swing and miss with Vasquez and he, cause I know he has dual nationality and he gets recruited by another national, another national team. That's what I'm most afraid of with Vasquez with the goal that he burned Aaron long on for anyone who hasn't seen it. I thought that was supposed to be his strength and was playing in open space and being able to run a high line and Oh my God, did he and get, keep up with the uh, attackers? That oh one. my God. Did he get roasted? Just um, so <laughs> not, not, not looking ideal. To be to be frank, yeah, happens. Um, honorable mention: Sergeant with a goal and a loss. P. Folk with an assist, and Malik Tillman also with a goal. Wonder goal too. He he went through like four or five people for that goal. Was it? I didn't yeah. I didn't see it. I just had this thing um, in front of me. Unbelievable, unbelievable goal. Nice. I'll have to take a look on Twitter. I'm sure it's there. Let's head over to the uh, weekly recap. We're going over the all the. English today is a very hard language. We're going over <laughs> all the Barclays Premier League games from this past weekend. First, <clears throat> first up, Brentford two, Brighton nil. Brighton held scoreless in three matches now since um, the three-three draw at Anfield. Any concerns here? Or just kind of just the transition between managers, and they think they'll figure it out, or was Potter the reason, and they are going to be in trouble? No, I think it's just a case of history repeating itself. I mean, Brighton got off to an incredible start last year as well as like like we know. Um, and it was probably right about this time when things started to cool off for them. And it, it, it kind of leveled off in the table where we all thought they were going to be initially. Um, and I think it's just a little bit more of the same right now. I'm not, not to say that the grand Potter being gone, isn't going to hurt them more this year. It absolutely will. When you have a manager of that, that caliber leave as abruptly as he did, but I'm not surprised to see them slow down just slightly. Yeah. The goals, the goals are a concern three straight matches, you know, 270 minutes of, of no no goals is going to be a problem, but I think there's still enough quality in that team to to bounce back and finish you know a decent spot in the table. Yeah, it's actually not even three straight matches anymore. It's four straight matches because they tied to Nottingham Forest yesterday zero zero. Exactly. Yeah. Fair. So they they won the XG battle though. So that was that. Um, so they're doing Brighton things. <laughs> um, but I mean, that being said, no goals, four games. That's obviously going to be a talking point. Yeah, just to clarify, um, Mike, three games. It was it was it was three games. I was right when I put that in there. <laughs> no, I'm saying against against Nottingham now. 
Yeah, that was the third game. That was yeah, the third. That was the third game. What? Yeah, four games ago was a three-three draw with Liverpool. Yeah, if you're wow. if you're gonna try to fact check me, please get it correct. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, for Brentford, though, any concerns with them? Uh, they obviously had the one big loss, and then afterwards, now big win against Brighton, draw against Chelsea. Any concerns? I don't think there's any big concerns. I think those are some good results, especially picking up a draw against a big six team and, and playing reasonably well with, I think personally, some of the better clear cut chances in the match today. Um, especially, you know, with the win against uh, Brighton. So I think they're in a pretty good spot. This team is, that team is so interesting to me. I, I don't know why, but I just feel like I've never really thought of them as like a, a promoted side because they, they play extremely well and extremely tough against strong opponents. Um, so for me, I'm not too worried about this Brentford side. Look, I mean, if you're a Brentford supporter and you look at the table as of today, you're 11 games in, you're sitting on 14 points uh, in what, ninth place? Yeah. I, I think you take that all day, every day. For what, yeah. At least me, I personally thought Brentford would be near the relegation zone, um, just in terms of depth and whatnot. But um, they're playing really well. Ivan Tony, when he has his opportunities, is playing really well. I would like to see more of Mikel Damsgaard when they have an opportunity to bring him in because I think he brings a lot to the attack in particular. But overall, I mean, can't really can't really complain too much about what they're doing so far this season. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Uh, Leicester nil nil against Palace. Honestly, my opinion, disappointing game for both teams. Not really much in this one. Yeah, it feels like we say that every week about a Leicester game. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice that might be cruel but i mean let's let's face it rod you, look i hate to rehash this because we talked about it last week and, and seems like every other time but we keep talking about a timeline for roger's departure and his sacking it, i had said it was going to be like just prior to the world cup i'm actually starting to think he's not going to make it to the world cup especially if they don't beat Leeds this upcoming weekend uh, i think it's the I think it's a huge game for them. I mean, that's a team right next to them that they can bounce over in the standings or be near in the standings, put the pressure on Jesse Marsh, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's a must-win game for them. And I think if Leeds don't uh, – excuse me, if Lester doesn't win this game, like obviously he's getting questions asked now, but the pressure really, really gets ramped up on Rodgers here. So Yeah, and Leeds are, Leeds are faltering as well, right? They have, I, To my knowledge, I don't think they've won since the Chelsea win uh, back in – August. So uh I don't, yep. I don't necessarily think Marsh might be on the hot seat currently, but they are a team that's you know moving their way back down the table after a hot start. Yep. Last one was August uh, 21st, two months ago. Jesus. Wow. Uh moving on, Fulham two, Bournemouth two. Um, Fulham haven't won a game also in a month since beating Forest. Uh, do you think they're cooling off after their hot start as well? Or just kind of a you know rough month yeah i mean if they don't have a hot start you're going to be concerned with promoted teams but like as long as they get off to that like you have to expect that what these promoted sides were doing to start the season was never going to last some of these quote-unquote smaller clubs it's just not it's not sustainable they don't have the depth they don't have the overall star star power like it's tough to say but that's just a fact of the matter that's the way the way the league goes um, mm -hmm. So I think it's a, a normal that they're kind of teetering off still. I mean, 12 points from 10 matches for a newly promoted side to the Premier League is still a decent haul, and it still puts them, well, three points out of the relegation zone realistically. But um, mm -hmm. but I think I think they'll be fine. They're like one of the only rele quote unquote relegation candidates. I'm not like very worried about. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at their past couple games that they've played, right? And they got points against Fulham, uh, Nottingham Forest, all three, which is obviously good. They lost to a Newcastle team, which is playing really well this mm-hmm. year. They lost to West Ham. They got a point against Bournemouth recently, right? And now they're about to play Villa, Leeds, Everton. So I think you're going to see a lot about this Fulham team and what their season is going to look like based on these next two realistically upcoming games because those games against Leeds and Villa, Leeds we obviously just referred to and alluded that they're in a little bit of a slump. Villa themselves, not in a good shape, and they're looking likely to be pretty near that relegation scrap as well. So I think you'll see a lot about their season in the next two games and what they're able to kind of get out of that. Yeah, I mean, we got three teams tied on nine points right now towards the bottom. Um, Leeds do, uh, do have um, two games in hand on Wolves, so they, you know, come up with some extra points there. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting for them, definitely. Uh, Wolves won, forced nil. A huge win for Wolves, desperately needed three points. They were out of the relegation zone at first, have since back dropped into the uh, to 18th place, and they did just lose 2-1 to uh, Crystal Palace. I... Obviously, they had lot, uh, Bruno Lodge got sacked. We said coming into this year, Wolves did not make enough, just did not make enough recruitment efforts. I, I honestly don't even know who they brought in if they brought in anybody. It was very, very minimal at most. Uh, yeah. Maybe two signings. Are they? Uh, are they the Everton this year? Looking well, like Leicester. I, I, but... would, I would say Leicester, but Leicester are five times worse at this point. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah, between them and Aston Villa, man. Well, obviously Villa made a lot more signings and we thought over the past two summers, realistically, and we thought they'd be much in a much better situation than they are currently. Um, Gerard's obviously on the hot seat. Wolves on the other hand, though, always stable, defensively strong, but they have, to my knowledge, I think the least amount of goals in the Premier League right now. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't score a goal if yeah. for their life. Like, Five in goals in 11, Mike. Yeah. It's, it's bad. It's very bad. Although on the bright side, they have as many goals as Leicester has points. <laughs> so silver linings. Interesting. I don't know how we can, you know, interesting. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of a way to judge that right there. But yeah. well, hopefully this this kick starts them a little bit because I mean, let's let's be fair. Um, they haven't had the easiest lineup either. I mean, this league is just so stacked. They've already played teams like Manchester City, Chelsea, West Ham are a good side, Newcastle, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I th- I think this sh- should help kickstart them. I-, I mean, they picked up the rare win, so it's, it feels like a change of pace for them. They have a new manager, so that feels like a change of pace for them. So it, this should improve their mindset and, and push them in the right direction. If it doesn't do that at this point, then I don't know what's going to, and then you have a real relegation problem on your hands. Yeah. I think in January, it's an absolute must. They have to spend money on a striker, yes. like have to, have to, have to yes. do it if they want an opportunity to stay in the Premier League. And so. and depth overall, honestly, because they're, they're not going to stay healthy all year and they don't have anyone to fill those gaps. Yeah. Panic button definitely has been pressed. Um, heading over to Spurs 2, Everton nil. Harry Kane continues his run. Only one game this season, if I count it correctly. Mike might want to fact check me. Um, without a goal or an assist, do Spurs go as far as he takes them, or does someone else step up? Well, he didn't get a goal or an assist today against Manchester United. They looked horrendous. <laughs> I didn't I, – damn it. 
I didn't do the script again this day. Oh, I did it yesterday. So count that as two games. There you go. Well done. Correction. Um, but yes, it seems pretty likely right now that everything's riding on Kane and Son. Son has been a little iffy with his play. Um, Kane's obviously been outstanding. If it wasn't for Erling Holland, you'd be talking about Kane as potentially maybe golden boot winner right now, right? He'd be leading if not. So I think they have, in terms of Spurs, they haven't, they, like I said before, they're still in second gear, in my opinion. I don't think they've ever broken out. And the Kulisevsky injury has really kind of messed with their mojo and their flow. Um, he's supposed to be coming back though, right? I thought I heard he's like right on the brink. He's on the brink. Yeah. But I, they're being cautious with him. But um, until they have somebody like Kulisevsky who can link up the play or it, God forbid, they bid for James Madison in this winter transfer window for, uh, in January and get a real center attacking mid who's creative. They're going to run into a lot of problems, breaking down low block teams and being able to get out of press situations. Um, so that's kind of the assessment I have with the Spurs right now. As for Everton, though, I mean, it was they definitely had opportunities in that game, too. It wasn't like the scoreline like really flattered Spurs because they they had chances um, and they just couldn't take the click, click, the, the actual things that came their way. I know Damari Gray had one or two. I know um, what's his name? I can't remember the one of the other players, but had another chance. So there was opportunities for Everton and they looked good defensively, just a little unlucky. Good. I like having you as our, our, our Spurs fan, little analyst there. <laughs> uh, moving on to Sunday matches, Villa nil, Chelsea two. Chelsea adds to the Villa woes, but the stats honestly showed a different story. Villa had plenty of chances in this one. What's your take? Uh, Many's been out, so we've had a little bit of a, a Kepa streak here. Any type of revival for him? Do you think he challenges for the first spot? What um, what do you think happens when Mendy comes back? I think he's won it. I, I already do. I, I think it's not a secret that I, as much as I love Edouard Mendy and what he's done for the club, I think he's been well off his the top of his game um, in recent months, not just games. Um, he's sloppy with the ball at his feet, and he's a little suspect in decision-making at times. And it has led to goals, um, incredibly crucial goals let in, most notably in the Champions League, where like he the Champions League. Benzema, which they would have progressed. Um and Kepa has come in and back-to-back weeks now, including today's match um, in the 0-0 draw against Brentford, has made some just point-blank reflex cat-like saves, and he's kept Chelsea in these matches. If it wasn't for Kepa, they would have lost today against Brentford, and they would have gone down early against an Aston Villa side. And then at that point, who would have known? Who knows what would have happened having Chelsea have to expand a little bit more and, and try to find an equalizer. So. I think over the last three or four games, he's been fantastic. I mean, if you were to go, <laughs> this is cool. I just looked this. I just looked this up. If you were to go look at clean sheets by keepers in the Premier League this season so far, Kepa's already tenth on that list with three, and I'm pretty sure he's only played like three or four games. So you're talking him about him beating out almost half the league at that point. Um, well, actually, half the league in clean sheets. So it's a testament to his revival at this stage, and I think he goes as far as as possible right now. Now, who's to say what happens if Edouard Mendy comes back from the World Cup and has a fantastic showing, right? It's going to be a different story. But until that point, I don't see Keppel losing his spot, at least not in my eyes. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. looked, he's looked really good. He's made some really good saves lately. And, and you know what? Good for him. He's, it's, he's stayed in there. He's worked hard. He's been, you, you can see him on the bench trying to help the substitutes and, and kind of identifying pocket space and what they sh- a game plan should be, right? And uh, he's taking his chance when it came to him. So that's awesome to see. 
Yeah. Yes, Especially I mean, after Capagate. <laughs> it, it, it does it does take a lot of uh like mental fortitude though r- realistically yeah. like he went through a lot over at chelsea and like you come in as the most expensive goalkeeper ever you actually had he actually had a pretty good like season season and a half and then all of yeah. a sudden you know he's, everyone starts getting on his case the signing of mendy benches keppa obviously yeah he mentioned keppa gate um literally so much went down for this guy and then to come out on top of it it it, it takes a hell of a lot of strength there so um, good for him. Love to see you keep going, and um, we'll see what happens and how it plays out when Potter uh, decides. Remember when he took a ball off the face off the post? <laughs> <laughs> big questions for Villa, though. Big, big questions. Big questions for Villa. How long do you think Gerard could last at this point? I think I think, he's, I think he's gone before the. I think he's gone before Rogers. Honestly, wow. Before Rogers, I think they give Rogers a little bit more time, but I think interesting. I think he's gone before Rogers. Uh, yeah, honestly, um, it's coming down the pipe. It's let's put it this way: if you had odds on this one, they're definitely top two. Yeah, <laughs> probably like plus one hundred each. Um, yeah, they're he's in he's in trouble. I sometimes we mentioned with Forrest plenty of times on this podcast already. You're given so much talent, and you sign new recruits, making them all gel together. Not easy. He came into a, a team that was poorly performing. He got you know the sack bump and um after that though the season it really has it's nothing's paid out for them and they made plenty of new signings too that they he had a whole he had a whole summer to get this shit together yeah yeah so and so. he has more quality on that side than probably eight or nine teams in the league in all honesty and he's got the players that he wanted with those transfers yeah so we'll see what happens but i yeah, i agree i don't know if he lasts even even before the world cup uh, heading over to Leeds nil, Arsenal one. Arsenal now four points clear at the top of the table. Leeds winless since the Chelsea game, as we mentioned before. What uh, we talked about a little bit last podcast, but since the city dropping points, what what's your take on Arsenal, man? How far can they go? How long can this last? How much can you tolerate their fans? <laughs> <laughs> Cannot tolerate their fans at all. Um, but I will give them credit for grinding out a really tough one against Leeds because if you did watch the game, Leeds did have chances. They did have opportunities. Arsenal took the one opportunity they had. Um, and, you know, it's, it's credit and testament to them and credit, testament to what Arteta is preaching and doing with that team. But, you know, that was probably their, one of their, I guess you could say, like poor games of the year so far in terms of like what they were able to do as an output. But they were able to grind it out. So all credit to them. I still don't put them in the title challenge. Like they're challengers, but they're in no way running away with the league. I'm at this point. Our city might have dropped points, but I promise you they will come back at a certain point. Yeah. City could be 12 points back right now, and I would not be too concerned about that, honestly. I mean, it's just it's not it's not a knock on Arsenal like we talked about. It's it's yeah. just a testament to how good the city side is. And as far as how far they can go, I think it's going to going to depend on. Um, I I mean, a lot of people would say injuries, right? Like talk about the the prospect of oh, you lose someone like Bukayo Saka, or you lose like Ramsdale. But Arsenal substitutions have been very very good. Um, they they're impact players off the bench, so I don't think you can go that way. I, I think it's just going to take. I think it's just going to take um, not 
falling into a, a rut like in baseball you talk about avoiding a big inning right like just shut it down and and put a plug in it get your mind back on track and re, readjust these are this is a very young team so for me that that's a susceptible point and if they can avoid that and stay mentally strong I think second place could be a lock for them based on what we've seen so far yeah it's it's looking likely honestly the one thing I'm curious about and I'm going to hear shit about this too from Arsenal supporters is obviously they've had games at home against some big six teams Curious to see, given their troubles at away at some of these big six locations, mm-hmm. maybe at an Anfield, maybe at City, at Spurs. That's where they always seem to have had issues. Yeah, that's that's going to be a, a tough battle. It's one thing to play in the Emirates, but. Yeah, makes sense. Um, heading over, Man U nil, Newcastle nil. Um, for anyone that listened to my potential betting advice on his last episode, the over three and a half did not hit, did not come <laughs> close. Don't take um, gambling advice. <laughs> true. We, we, we do not give gambling advice. We give <laughs> choices um, that you probably shouldn't listen to. But honestly, I, I, I didn't expect another game out of this one. That, that is probably the last game of the weekend I would have expected a, a draw like that from. Um, how are we feeling about that one? You know what? I, I I still liked my upset pick of Newcastle taking out over Manchester United on this, but I mean, United is just outside of Arsenal, they have to be the hottest team of the last two, three months at this point, right? I mean, they they can't do no wrong under Ten Hag, and especially coming off, we'll talk about it later, right? A back of a a two zero win against Spurs today. I mean, they cannot be stopped. I think this is a good result for both clubs, given the fact that Newcastle are a force this year. Most mm-hmm. clean sheets in the league, scoring goals left and right. Almiron is on absolute fire. Fire. So to come up against a Newcastle side like that and come away each of them with a point, I think both of them will be happy with the end result. Yeah, and I, I, I'm going to double down with what you said about Manchester United too being one of the hottest teams. I mean, we kind of thought there'd be still a rebuild, a little bit of time for Ten Hag to come in. I had a feeling that they would kind of kick into gear a lot faster based on the preseason that I saw out of them. And I think you're starting to see that, especially today too, like Ten Hogs getting his players to finally play the way he wants them to. Um, in the Newcastle game, he was able to get a point away from home, if I'm not mistaken. Um, correct? Yeah. Double check me. United was, they were at Old Trafford, I believe. They were at Old Trafford? Okay, yeah. never mind. Regardless, they should, I think they're happy with the point. The fact that they also beat Spurs today 2-0, they pressed the shit out of them and looked really, really good on the counter press. Um, you're seeing a transformed team, um, one without Ronaldo in it for probably the better. So yeah, I, I think it's all I think it's uphill for them. Not uphill, excuse me, trending upwards. Rephrase that. Yeah, I think people forget how good of a how good of a preseason they actually did have because they had such a dreadful start to the season and all yes. the drama with Ronaldo, the squad selection, everything like that. Like there were some amazing counterattacks that they had and like they were on full display for us. And we kind of like looked at that and we're like, this false hope is it like, and then obviously like we were like, holy crap, the season started. Um, so good for Ten Hag. It maybe it's a quicker rebuild than expected. It might just be like, a, I was going to say, it's really not even a down year right now. There's they're fighting for uh, fourth place currently. Um, it's good for him. Cause yeah. he had a lot of people calling for his head already <laughs> very early on. I mean, outside of the Manchester city thrashing six, three, which to be fair, most teams lose to city 99% of them. They haven't lost since the opening two matches of the season, which they lost both. So, I mean, you're talking about just running through six at that one. point. Yeah. Yeah. Six, six wins, 
since the LB2 matches, six wins, one draw, one loss. Like that's fantastic form to be in. Good for them. Good for him. You think they're going to let Ronaldo go in project January? I don't think in January now. Right. No. 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 No one wants to do it in the summer with him. I. I would highly doubt you want to bring that in. Um, midseason. And yeah. that, it never. It never hurts to have Cristiano Ronaldo on the bench if you need him in a pinch. So yeah, especially what, when you're fighting for top four. What did you make of him? Um, leaving the field before the game was over today. He's being the, a. The he's win. just being a baby. <laughs> Prima Donna <laughs> Ronaldo. What else is new? Yeah. Wait, so he didn't, he didn't clap the uh, supporters away? He barely he, – the whistle didn't even blow. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm messing with you. I'm just oh, okay. pulling a joke. Um, yeah, it's just Ronaldo. Heading over, we got Southampton 1, West Ham United 1. I It took a great Declan Rice uh, strike in order to come away with the point here, but I kind of thought West Ham should have got more from this game. Am I wrong on that one or no? Yes. I think overall, I think looking back on it, you'll say, yeah, they, they probably should have. But Southampton did play well enough that I think a point was not undeserved on, on there. And West Ham did look good, and they have looked a lot better, similar to United after that horrific start. What was it three straight losses without scoring a goal or something along those lines? Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks like they're finally starting to hit their gear, but just not every piece is clicking like it was the last couple of seasons. Um, and I think it will get to that stage, but I think ultimately – they'll be happy with the point. And I know for a fact, Southampton will be happy with a point. Yeah. I mean, we kind of talked about this. Um, I think from what I've seen, West Ham is going to start slowly climbing the table. They're going to get a more favorable run of games pretty soon. And you're going to see players like Lucas Paqueta start to really shine. Um, So I, I'm a little bit more concerned for Southampton, just kind of given their form where they're at. They got a, if I'm not mistaken, they got a, a win today. Correct. Correct. Uh, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's positive to see, but I'm still a little concerned for their longevity over the season. And with that young team, if they're able to kind of fight through adversity and keep themselves away from a, rele- a true relegation battle, because I think that they're in that pot right now where they're pretty likely to be down there and kind of scratch. They somehow just hang on every year, man. Even after like the Ings departure, I which I thought was de- going to decimate them, they just hang on. Yeah. It finds someone else. Ward Prowse now. Yeah, fair, very fair. Um, in the last game of the weekend, we already alluded to it. Uh, Liverpool won, City nil, massive three points for Liverpool. We all gave them no chance. What happened in this one? What a game. I, I do whenever, when there's so much quality in these sides, you knew they both were going to show up because, regardless of how well Arsenal plays and everything else, Liverpool and City are still the two hardest teams to face because at any given point in time, they could do a 9-0 over you. No matter what team you are, they could they could absolutely thrash you. Um, and I think it came down to the fact that they couldn't contain Salah. They could not contain him. Liverpool were happy to sit back, which is uncharacteristic, a little bit more, not saying they did, but just a little bit more and absorb some pressure from City and hit on the break. And at least that's what it looked like for the opening couple of minutes. But then Liverpool just came out and dominated play have you guys seen city get dominated in a half the way that liverpool did it in that first half because i think the possession was like 60 40 or something higher even in the opening half not necessarily dominate like that but in terms of like i would say last year even sometimes this year too they they do disappear and then all of a sudden just turn it on when they want to so 
I'll say, yes, we've seen Man City kind of go dormant at portions of games in, in the Pep era. But um, I felt like, yeah, Liverpool definitely just absolutely took it to them. No, they, it was the perfect game plan. I mean, that's if you're going to play City, that's how you play them. Like, you let them come up onto you. You let them push the lineup. And then you have players like Salah or whomever run in behind when you have an opportunity and play very direct. Mm-hmm. Um, and they obviously expose that. Other teams have exposed that in the past. Um, and if you have the quality to do that, that the easiest route to goal is two or three passes and all of a sudden you're over their back line and you're in. So I think that, I think that was the right way to do it. And Van Dyke had a phenomenal game against Holland. Holland had maybe one or two chances he could have done better with, yeah. but overall he held up to his own and, you know, it was really impressive to see the two of them go at it. And also Joe Gomez too, who I thought started a little shaky, but he really held his own too in the pairing with Holland. Well, excuse me, with Van Dyke. Yeah, Gomez, for me, Gomez was one of the best players on the field. I think he only made, for me, one mistake throughout the entirety of that match. I mean, he was everywhere down that right-hand side. Um, he was cutting balls out early, winning, winning slide tackles in 50-50s. I mean, he was just manhandling them. A City, throughout that match, only created one quote-unquote big chance, which is very uncharacteristic of that side. To put that in perspective, Liverpool created five in that match with an end possession of only 40 percent almost so i mean i agree with mike man like if holland puts one or two of those away that were he normally puts away that could have ran away very fast i think it was just a good game by allison and the defense on liverpool too yeah oh yeah gotcha let's head over to uh the new fixtures we got coming up this this uh upcoming weekend don't want to touch too much upon the uh, midweek matches uh, first up, Saturday morning, Nottingham Forest hosting Liverpool. Uh, any chance for Forest here? Anything? Point. Trap game. Yeah. Forest for life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, listen, Liverpool are riding high off a big win. It does take a little bit of coaching to get them to stay. Keep you know, keep their heads on straight. You're walking this match, assuming you already have three points in the bag. So, yes, definition of a trap game, absolutely. But like the talent differential here is so large. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be interesting from an attacking standpoint because without Jota and Luis Diaz, you're missing both players that typically play on the left hand side. So you'd expect to see probably both Nunez and Firmino and Salah, who's going to frighten, you know, anyone and probably give Trent the rest. So, I mean, like if Fars were ever going to face Liverpool side, you'd want those three players not in the lineup, right? So, but even still, they don't have a shot. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. We're going to see the evolution of Darwin here. You like yeah. that? How long uh, have you been sitting on that? <laughs> <laughs> about ele- about eleven games this season. <laughs> um, no, he's finally he got a he got a goal, I believe, today too. Yeah. Um, and he's gonna start banging him in. I think this he'll maybe get a, another goal here, maybe even a brace against Nottingham Forest, and he's gonna start kickstarting his year. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Everton hosting Crystal Palace. Interesting um, lines on this one. Honestly, uh, they have Everton plus 155 a draw at plus 210 and then crystal palace coming off a nice win and then like who typically play pretty well against you know, i know teams below them in the table they're plus 190 kind of shocked by that one yeah it'll be a good game everton as we've alluded to staunch defensively offensively i mean they they play for the counter um and i think crystal palace I think they just have enough to get over the line here and give Everton a run for their money and ultimately get like a one Oh or something like that. 
Um, Cause after watching them play, especially their midweek game against wolves, super impressed with Elise, super impressed with Eze in particular. I think that's going to be too much for them to handle from an Everton perspective. And they're going to kind of cut through the lines a little bit. Okay. Any other uh, input there, Vito? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with Mike. It's going to be extremely close, but I actually think that they're not going to have enough to get over the line. I think ultimately this is going to end a low scoring draw. Um, Frankie has them incredibly well drilled, which we said last week too, is just insane giving how many goals they shipped in when he was Chelsea manager. Um, and as good as palace is, you're talking about just like an unstoppable force versus an immovable object, right? There's just no clear winner for me in this one. And um, I think it's going to run out probably a one, one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, everything's on the back of three losses right now, but they are to Manchester United, Tottenham and Newcastle. Yeah. Um, so obviously not easy opponents by any means. Their last win was over Southampton. Um, Crystal Palace definitely has more quality than Southampton. I think they're a better team, but um, they're not, they're not quite up to that par of a, you know, a top, a top six club. So it'll be close, but I do, I do agree with Mike. I think they are, their attacking options are too much for even the Everton defense to handle. So I take a win there. Uh, Man City hosting uh, Brighton here. Oh, three weeks ago or, po- or pre Potter <laughs> moving. This would be a very interesting matchup. I just don't see how Man City. You don't want to face Man City on a good day. You also don't want to face Man City at home, and you don't want to face Man City at home after losing to Liverpool, to specifically yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just bad timing. And while you haven't scored in three games. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a rough out there. So either the exact opposite is going to happen, this game's going to pop off, or four nothing thrashing potentially. Yeah. I, I don't. Not I don't to mention, Erling Holland hasn't scored a goal in ninety-two minutes. Ninety-four he's due. minutes, depending yeah, on stoppage. He's due for six. <laughs> and is overdue. Yeah, he's got to get. He's got to get that like uh, that projected ninety goals in a season back on track. Yeah, it's probably going to be a city win here. How dare that robot let up? Rude. But here's the real question: the city win, but. Does Brighton win on the XG? Ooh, no shot. <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> City's XG might triple theirs, potentially. Yes. Um, Chelsea hosting Manchester United. Interesting game here. Uh, Chelsea have been eh lately. And then, man, you obviously coming off a big win against Tottenham. Am I? I, I hate predicting Chelsea to lose here, but. They are. I feel like they are. They are. I feel like Manu's coming in there and winning that one. Yeah, this is going to end the Graham Potter. Uh, the Graham Potter streak hasn't lost a match in charge of Chelsea so far, but this is going to be it. Manchester United are one win away from being certifiable Titan killers, having beaten Liverpool, Spurs, and Arsenal this season already. And if they take on Chelsea, that's four or five quote unquote big six teams. Honestly, all five they could face in the quote unquote top six and beaten almost all of them. Um, the games, Chelsea are just incredibly lackluster. Every time they pick the ball up, they don't really know what to do with it moving forward. And that's because they don't have a focal point. Ten Hag has that Manchester United team flowing so fluently, even without a number nine with the likes of Ronaldo. And I don't see that changing in this match. I think Anthony's going to absolutely burn down the side. That's fair. That hurts, but it's fair. <laughs> I'm trying to be objective about it. It hurts, Steve. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be Anything else, Mike? 
It's going to be a great tactical match to watch with yeah. seeing Potter versus Ten Hag, two big brains going at it. I do think Ten Hag, after watching Man U today, um, I think he might have an advantage just to, just from what I saw. If you want but, a high-scoring or low-scoring game here, it, it kind of reminds me of, I feel like either a 2-1 uh, Man U win or just a 1-0. Uh, honestly, I think a low-scoring game because Man U's defense has honestly stepped up as of late, um, Varane and Lissandro Martinez have been a, quite the formidable partnership. So, yeah, I, I think a 2 1 or actually even potentially a 2 0 win, I'm leaning towards on this. I don't, I genuinely don't think Chelsea are going to get on the board. Very tough to hear. Um, <laughs> heading over to Sunday games, Villa hosting Brentford. A lot on the line here for Villa. Brentford could walk away with another win potentially and uh, start bolstering up their, their points again. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen for Arsenal. Even Tony, third highest score in the Premier League, only behind mm-hmm. machine that mm-hmm. is Erling. Brent- Brentford? You said Arsenal. Yeah. What did I say? Arsenal? No, yeah. sorry, Brentford. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen for, for Villa. Um, Brentford have looked great, and if a match against Chelsea and a 0-0 draw is any indication of that, especially having the third highest score in the Premier League, um, I think all signs point towards a Brentford win in this match. I think it'll take something special and something – of a drastic turnaround almost on a dime for art for as i was it again for aston via to uh to pull anything out of this one yeah i think via will be they'll be disappointed to not get points off the chelsea game but they'll see the chances they've created and get a lot of confidence out of that and think that they yep. can probably go to a brentford team which as of recently too against the newcastle game where defensively they looked a little shaky probably think they can get at least one or two against them um but i do think this game probably ends in a draw, probably 1-1, maybe 2-2, um, just because I, I don't necessarily trust both defenses, to say the least. So, yeah, That's an overstatement. Yeah. The sportsbooks actually had this one as Brentford is uh, pretty good underdogs. They have my plus 260 here, while Ashton Villa is only plus 105. Um, a draw is also plus 260. So um, kind of shocked to see that uh, on the Brentford, especially coming off a nice win. So interesting. And, and then, and then again, uh, a draw against Chelsea too. So uh, I'm going to take a, a Brentford win there. I think they have just enough to get over the line. Then we have so many games here down the line. Leeds versus Fulham. Draw. 2-2. Two, two. Mm. Sounds about right, actually. Yeah. Okay, I mean, it's wrong now. <laughs> I mean, it's it, too it's, logical. It, it sounds right. And Leeds, not Leeds, but uh, Fulham have been playing pretty well against teams near them in the table uh, as of late. So I want to say draw, but I kind of get the feeling that this is one of those games where it's going to ratchet up the pressure on Jesse Marsh a little bit, and you're going to see a Fulham win, like 2-1. A lot of away teams I actually really like this week, to be honest with you. So many of yeah. them. Weird. Um, then we got Southampton hosting Arsenal. I think I mean, we skip over this one here. No, I think it's it's done and dusted. Good odds here for Arsenal, though. Only minus one eighty, considering you have teams like uh, Liverpool that's minus Jesus minus four fifty for their win or their potential win over at Forest, and then Man City minus five fifty. So good odds for Arsenal if you're looking to uh, do anything there. Um, then we got Wolves hosting Leicester. Hmm. Oh, God. Tough, God damn. tough game. Here. <laughs> Is there a negative goal differential you can take? 
Can I get the under yeah. minus 0.5? I bet the own goals over two has to be more value. <laughs> is there an own goal? That's actually probably a solid mark of the bet on, not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I think Lester come out on top here. I think Rodgers gets, really? gets his win against a struggling Wolves team offensively. As bad as Lester are defensively, they're not as bad as Wolves offensively from what I've seen. Interesting. Yeah, it's fair. It's a I'll, Wolves I'll, game. Just take the under two and a half. That's all you got to do. You're pretty much going to yeah. walk away a winner. I don't know. They're both bad enough that it could be like a 5-5. Five, five. You never know. <laughs> it could come out of the bag. You know what I mean? Dude, this this is not Rex and this is not the National League. Five five in the Prem is very yeah. that's a very rare score line. Yeah, maybe three three. I, I, yeah, I think it, it's hard for me to take anything but a draw, just because none of them, neither of these teams, have showed anything possible they could do to get a win. So fair. Uh, the headlining match of the weekend, I would say, Spurs versus Newcastle. Over yeah. at Chelsea United. Uh yeah. It's up there. It's going to be a tough game because Newcastle look, obviously, as we've said, very good. Um, Spurs coming off a pretty shitty loss, and I can only assume Antonio Conte is going to rip into them. Um, I think as long – if Kulisevsky's in, I give Spurs the ability to get a win. If Kulisevsky is not in and cannot play, I think it's a 1-1 draw. I was going to say 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, for, for the same reasons. It's – Spurs are strong defensively, and they've been a little bit disjointed going forward. Um, but Newcastle have been, I mean, just strong everywhere, to be honest. To be completely frank, they they are one of the best teams in the league at this point. So it's going to be an interesting battle, but I think it's ultimately going to end in a stalemate. Yeah, I feel like anytime Newcastle comes up against the top squad, they just draw them every single time. So I'm going to go with that. And then Monday night match, we got West Ham hosting Bournemouth. Uh, any surprises in this one? No, no, I don't think so. West Ham winners. Yeah. Very confident right there. I like it. Yeah. Um, I'm say Bournemouth. I'm say Bournemouth bounce back to their not losing ways. Not saying they win, but not saying they lose. Uh, so I'm gonna take a draw. <laughs> what? Uh, any final thoughts, though, boys? Before we wrap up here. Getting very close to the World Cup. Very, very close. Very excited for it. So. What are we at? What are we at now? Like. Probably close to 30 days, actually, right? No, a little bit more. It's towards the end. Ah, a little bit more. Teeny bit. It... Just a teeny bit? Yeah, it's it's not too much more. I'm going to make 35 days. Um, The first match is... Da, 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 don't know. November 20th. So, wow, you're oh, wow. spot on. Suck it. Jeez. When this comes out, it is 30 days. Yeah, damn. That's right, Vito. I'm your master. Um, <laughs> anything else, though, fellas? No. That's it from us. <laughs> All right. Let's roll on out of here, then. And that'll do it for this episode of the Sunday League Skimmers podcast. Like, comment, hit the bell, subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcast. Also, follow us on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod for daily tweets about the show, world football, United States men's national team, and the Premier League. I'm your host, Steve, with Mike and Vito, signing off.